Stimulating budgeting, yet another casino plan, and changes in the governor's education reform plan. These topics are more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Patel studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Kathy Kandiski, Statehouse reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. William Hershey, State House Bureau Chief for the Dayton Daily News. Dale Butland, Democratic strategist. And Terry Casey, Republican strategist. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. It's the question heard at all levels of government. Hey buddy, can you spare some stimulus money? The state is getting about $8 billion from the Freds, but Governor Strickland has received more than 9,000 requests for stimulus money. All of those requests total nearly $50 billion. Bill Hershey, my Ohio State MBA, tells me there's a gap there between $8 billion and $50 billion. And I don't think any of the state's gap aid from previous uh, school funding plans are going <laughs> to fill this gap. But the real crunch for the stimulus money at the state is for the state's general fund. And this week, uh, Budget Director Perry Sabaty said this was a, quote, silver bullet. You almost expected to hear the William Tell Overture play as she galloped in. But Republicans think uh, the money is kind of a trap door. If the state uses it, it'll just be a trap door to uh, tax hike two years from now. Uh, as for the requests that are coming in from all over the state, uh, I don't think the one that calls for building a gold statue of uh, President Obama is going to <laughs> pass the test with uh, Strickland's uh, stimulus czarina. Yeah. How does he decide? I mean, all these requests, which ones well, is it, is it Governor Strickland's decision or is it the legislature's decision? And when you look at, like, among the mayors in Ohio, there were $4.3 billion in requests. Over a billion alone came from the mayor of Akron, including for a $15 million Amtrak station, and they don't even have an Amtrak route running through Akron. So I don't know whether the governor's going to decide, the legislature, and some of these things, like in Columbus, of Mayor Coleman's, I think, 14 proposals, nine of them, basically, when it says number of jobs created, it has zero. So some of these things don't really create jobs other than the temporary construction jobs to build a bikeway or lay a water line or a sewer line. I think certainly there's going to be some pressure to bear on making sure the money goes toward things that will create jobs. But I also think that you'll see some of the stimulus money going towards basic needs, you know, food pantries, things that are going to, that needy Ohioans are going to need during this time of economic stress. And, and look, I mean, I understand that, you know, the loyal opposition has to complain about things. But the truth is, I, I don't get this idea of complaining about the governor using one-time stimulus money to plug this hole in the budget deficit. That is precisely the point of the stimulus money, is to use it now when you have a problem. Presumably, um, in two years from now, when that money is no longer there, the idea is, hopefully, the recession will be over, people will be back to work, they'll be paying taxes, and maybe these budget problems won't be there. But to complain about spending the stimulus money, what else are you going to do with it? Doesn't that's that what assume, it's there for. Doesn't that assume that there, every dollar that's being spent on the state level is being spent properly? I think that's what Republicans are saying, that maybe some stimulus money, but, you know, use this to trim, to cut, to become more efficient, to and combine state are, agencies. Yeah. Or, excuse me, Mike, you're correct, uh, and Dale's correct, too. However, there's a 
$3.5 billion worth of spil yeah. stimulus spending in the budget. The budget director said, we're going to have $7 billion more in tax revenue in two years. And then one of her aides said, oh, uh, oh no, we're just going to have $1 billion of tax revenue additional in two years. And they're supposed to come up with all this other money through not putting people in prison, making changes in Medicaid. And I think the Republicans have a point. Uh, Dale has a point, too. But the question is whether there will be enough money in two years to do all the things the stimulus money is being used for without a tax increase and or I'm cutting off the state government's head. All I'm suggesting is this, is that the Republicans are attempting to turn the debate from a question over whether a stimulus plan is needed to help people who are out of work, who are hungry now and so forth, into a debate on the wisdom of specific projects. And here in Ohio, I think we get a lot of common sense. And most of us here in Ohio understand that we're in this mess now because of the last eight years that have given us the worst economy since the Great Depression. And when you make a mess in someone's living room, it is impolite to complain about the cost of cleaning it up. Well, but Dale will strongly disagree with you and try and upset you. But the quote, <laughs> three newspapers that are not exactly right-wingers, The Dispatch, The Plain Dealer in Cleveland, uh, even the Akron Beacon Journal have all been very pointed in noting when you spend five, six, seven billion dollars more than you have, you're going to set it up. And to solve the problem in 2011, it could take the current sales tax here in Franklin County from six and seven, five percent to nearly 10 percent in order to make up that amount of money in the next budget. Well, all, all I can ask is where was this concern over fiscal responsibility for the last eight years? That, that, you know, this we're president, talk, this we're president... We're talking the Ohio budget, which is required by the Constitution well, the Ohio, to be The Ohio budget and the problems therein are driven by the national economy, right? We, we have a really bad economy that has really wreaked havoc on our state, too. And all I'm trying to say is, is that this guy inherited a one point... Speaking of this guy, I mean Obama a $1.2 trillion budget deficit. And I didn't hear any complaints on your side when we, for instance, didn't pay for the Iraq war, the cost of which is a trillion dollars and counting. That was okay, we didn't uh, pay for that, but I didn't hear any complaints then. Now all of a sudden we have complaints and, and a born again uh, you know, interest in uh, balancing the budget. Well, 30 second rebuttal. Uh, in Ohio, it's got to be balanced, and when the, those newspapers, not Republicans, voice it this strong, we ought to fix it before we have a big 2011 tax hike. Well, more good news. Mayor Coleman maintains the state of the city is still strong, but the city's fiscal strength is questionable. In his State of the City address last night, the mayor said over and over again that the city needs additional revenues or he will have to order massive service cuts. But he did not utter, actually utter those four little words, city income tax hike. But Terry Casey, he did not say read my lips either, no new taxes. Well, in October of 2007, and you were there during the debate for the mayor's campaign, he said it was silly to talk about a tax increase. Everything was fine with city hall finances. The reality, and Hugh Dorian admitted it to Channel 4 for seven of the last nine years at city hall, Seven of those nine years, it's been, they've spent more than what they've taken in. And clearly something's got to give. The question is, how much of a tax hike is the mayor going to go for? Potentially, it might be done in an August special election, which would cost about three quarters of a million dollars just to hold the special election. But clearly, at City Hall, 
Do you need a tax increase? And are there other things to cut? Because clearly at City Hall, they can keep building more and more parks and money for theaters, but yet they make a big theatrical drama out of threatening to lay off police officers and then magically saving them. Now, in the, this, what City Hall will say is that those projects are capital dollars, not operating dollars, one-time expenditures that are paid through by paid for through bonds. Granted, you have to pay interest, but it's it, they say it's apples and oranges. But legally, it's tax dollars mm -hmm. coming out of everybody's paycheck. And do you want a 25% increase in your income tax, a 90 million dollar hike to maybe solve mm -hmm. a 10 or 11 million dollar problem? I'm not sure it's any different than what you're seeing in cities everywhere across the nation. I think all, all the cities are facing the same type of trouble, shrinking revenues and rising costs. And you get to a point, I guess, where you can cut, you always have these projects like you're mentioning, theater renovations and such that come into question. But the bottom line is at some point these cities are going to have to start asking for money to maintain essential services. And in a city like Columbus, I don't think uh, recreation centers are centers of which there have been many closed already are exactly bells and whistles. These are places for kids to go who don't have money to join the uh, athletic club or the YMCA. And most of the money, uh, Terry likes to talk about arts and crafts and uh, doohickeys, but most of the money goes to pay police, firemen, and other personnel. And I don't know how you're going to raise big chunks of money like that without doing what Kathy just said. Well, but one of the things you could do is go to the third floor in City Hall and look at the mayor's policy staff. And there's dozens of people there. Not dozens of people, come on. No, there are. How Do many dozens? I was told today 42 people. That's how many dozen? Well, that's about three and a half dozen. Okay. Well, you're uh, going to lay them all off? Well, what are they doing? I mean, the most important thing is. The police, the fire, picking up the trash, patching the holes in the streets. You I know, mean, there may be some question there, question about specific employee employees and whether they're needed or not. But knocking off of an employer here, an employer there, isn't going to make up for a, a class of recruits, yeah. isn't going to make up for a rec center budget, isn't going to make up for those kind of expenses. I mean, you can cut little bits here and there, but ultimately you need you need some new revenues. Dale, do, will voters approve a tax hike right now? I mean, they're, uh, I mean their I, budgets are hurting as bad as the city's budget is. And that's the problem, of course, is that to do an income tax increase, the voters have to approve it. I frankly think it is problematical at best that voters are going to approve a large tax increase in the middle of a recession. Well, they but, might not, but it's not but, just a tax on Columbus residents, it's a tax on people who work here. I understand, uh, but, but let me just say, I think there's a broader point, and it's always possible to niggle about this little expenditure or that, or to talk about getting rid of this person or that person in the mayor's office, but the truth is those are all drops in the bucket. The reality is that People who live in this city and all cities depend on a certain level of service. And the issue is, uh, to balance a budget, you can only do it one of two ways, or one of three. You can raise taxes, you can cut services, or you can do a combination of the two. And people have to figure out what they're willing to pay for. And the problem I have, and I don't mean this to sound overly partisan again, but there has been one party in this country that for the last 20 years has said over and over and over again that we need to cut taxes all the time. And the truth is, you get at some point, you get to the point where you have to raise taxes if you're going to keep that services that people want. That has been true in Columbus, so Dale, I think 
uh, one of Terry's former bosses was in on raising taxes in, in Columbus to provide services for the city. Right. And so well, how many Mr. Years ago was that? taxes that, that in Jim Rohn's when he was mayor. Right. That, you, you, well, I don't think but, that's but, been but, true but at they, the city level. About 25 years ago. But, they, Dale, the point you missed, the city income tax is on income, which has consistently been rising. And if you look at the last 30 years, and Mike Curtin, the former dispatch editor, has looked at a lot of these numbers, the city's revenue over the past 25 to 30 years has increased at a rate two to three, some years four times the inflation rate. So the city's had a healthy income increase. The problem is their spending increase has been at a higher level than I think what it merits. Let's go to our next topic. There is one group who, to some degree, welcomes all this government budget turmoil. Casino developers, despite perennial drubbings at the polls, there is another plan out there. The Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Columbus Dispatch report two huge developers, two rival developers, My Ohio Now and Penn National Gaming are joining forces. Their proposal would build four casinos around the state in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Toledo. Cash-hungry state lawmakers might be more inclined to accept casino tax money now. We could start, start seeing those gambling TV spots soon. Terry Casey? You've represented Native American gambling interests. You're our expert on gambling. Can this plan do what the others could not? Well, the, the advantage is that it's in a time when people really want jobs. And as they've tested some of their messages, they talk about 14,000 construction jobs, building four different places, a minimum of 250 million each. So the jobs message is powerful, but on the other hand, a municipal election year lower turnout, a little different mix of population in a way makes it harder. The big thing is can they pull it together because you'd have the odd couple of the two people that fought each other off and spent 70 some million. Penn National clearly is the big player. You've got the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers involved. So it's different people, it's a different package, but people look at the details and where will the money go, where will it be built? You know, another key with this proposal, I think, is that rather the last one that went down to defeat was for a single casino located in the Wilmington area. Yeah. This is for four casinos across the state, including one here in Columbus. And I, I think that sharing the wealth or sharing the opportunity, however you want to look at it, will help this one play better um, at the polls. It seemed pretty straightforward. Fifty some odd million startup fee to goes to the state right off the bat, and then 33% of the gambling revenues, not just the profits, but the revenues, come to the state. Here, as regular viewers of this show know, I'm not opposed to casino gambling. As a matter of fact, I have long believed that our state should have joined all of our neighboring states, with the exception of Kentucky, in bringing casino gambling to this state long ago. However, uh, that said, I think this latest gambling proposal is likely to fail, and for the same reason that the previous proposals failed, namely, it does not provide for competitive bidding on running those gambling facilities. Instead, this proposal, like the others, would make a handful of rich white men multi-billionaires overnight and then enshrine their right to this wealth in the constitution of our state. I don't care if Penn National and this Minnesota company spend $50 million on this. I don't think the voters are going to approve that, especially in a recession. I think there's got to be competitive bidding on these facilities. Bill, the horse tracks aren't involved in this right now. The horse now. tracks aren't involved. The most interesting uh, observation I've heard on this came from Tom Smith, the lobbyist for the Ohio Council of Churches. He said maybe we should do a preemptive strike, put something in the Constitution that sets the level very, very high, higher than what you said about how much the state should get, enshrine that in the Constitution. If one of these companies wants to come in, like Dale said, 
they could compete for this, but they'd have to meet this high level. But I don't think the gambling companies will take no for an answer. They haven't it so far. Like I mean, it, well, Ohio's a very attractive state, and there's a lot of Ohioans that are going out of state, and that's going to be one of the arguments they'll make in the campaign. This is a way to keep $600 million in the state, keep the jobs in the state that are now leaving because Ohio's surrounded, and they keep adding more because Pennsylvania's looking at adding table games. West Virginia But just haven't did. some of those casinos had layoffs, too? Haven't I heard yeah. about layoffs yeah. in yeah. some of these casinos? And the other truth is, is that some of the major gambling concerns that have done, that run very good programs in other states, Harris, for instance, Las Vegas Sands, others, have all said they're willing to come and play in Ohio as long as it's going to be competitively bid. What they don't want to do is they're not going to come in here and spend a bunch of money to get on the ballot if the money is going to be largely in the hands of a handful of people, as it would again in this case. Again, I say, I think this has got to be competitively bid, and this this one isn't. So I far think as this I proposal, tell. the key for the backers is to get it on, to do it without getting it on the ballot, because all it needs is super majorities in the House and the Senate to pass a resolution. The governor doesn't have to do anything. He can't veto a proposal like this. So Governor Strickland can say, well, I really don't like gambling and just whistle along. But if there's a 60 members in the House and I think 21 or some 20 in the Senate, it can get on the ballot. Speaker Butish is for this, I think there might be a little more resistance in the yeah, Senate. I was and, say, I don't think the, it'll fly in the Senate. Well, and the legislature could do video lottery terminals, which actually doesn't even need a vote. So there's some jockeying and there's some horse tracks really unhappy that they're not included or not a part of the discussion. Okay. Our fourth topic, the governor's education plan might cost hundreds of millions of dollars more than he originally said. Some state lawmakers say the governor has not allocated enough money for teacher salaries. Some lawmakers still question how some poor districts will actually see less state funding in the first years of the reform phase-in. Kathy Kandiski, the teacher salary number is startling. More than $500 million, rough estimate. Right. They how, basically, how can we be that far off? Well, I think what they've, what they've done is they've, they've used a figure of about $51,000 $51, a year for the average teacher salary with benefits, which is estimated to be about $6,000 short or low. So we multiply that times about 100,000 teachers in the state and you get a really big number. So, uh, you know, this week as we've gotten the, bu the budgets come out and we've been able to read a little bit more about the governor's education proposal, that you're starting to see a lot more questions about these numbers and a lot more criticism and about whether they're sufficient or not. That's the big one. As you know, teacher salaries, staff salaries in general make up 80, 85 percent of district expenses. So it's a big number. Does this number include the extra days that the governor wants kids to go to school now? I don't think anybody's think including does. the number, so the extra to, number of days. You add that in as well. Or right. all day kindergarten yeah. is very costly in both operating cost and capital because you've got to have a place for kids all day in kindergarten. Does this kill the plan before I even no, get started? No, tweaking it now. That's one of the four areas the uh, <laughs> budget director said this week they were looking at. A half a billion salary. dollar tweak. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know whether, maybe there'll be more state stimulus or yeah. federal stimulus money for it. And, and the other thing is, in each school district, the clerk treasurer goes and looks at the numbers and sees whether it sounds as good as the state of the state message said, and they're finding out, uh-oh, it's not that good. And then they explain, well, it's just a, 
uh, aberration, it's an anomaly in the numbers, but legislators are very sensitive when their school superintendents call and say, we thought we were going to get more money and we actually get less. The governor's plan calls for certain personnel in each school, a nurse, an, you know, a principal, all these things, and it provides a set amount of money to finance these things. And in a lot of cases what you're seeing is the local districts saying, you're not giving us enough to pay for this person and that person, to pay for class ratios, student to teacher ratios of 15 to 1 in the lower grades and slightly higher in the upper grades. So you're starting to get a lot of pushback from the districts, no question. And that's because those numbers are based on statewide averages. That's and correct. And obviously one city could spend a lot more on a teacher than another well, city might. Well, we think they are, but as Kathy said about the teacher salaries, the numbers, the thing, they keep changing. They and do keep <laughs> changing. And the other thing that's interesting about it is is that they took the charter schools students are now out of the funding formula and have their own separate funding formula. But when they came up with this average teacher salary, they factored in the charter school teachers' pay, which traditionally is a little bit lower than what you see paid in the traditional public schools. So it, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of numbers, and a lot of tweaking, I think, yet to come. More tweaking. Our last topic, now to the 2010 U.S. Senate race. There were a few new developments this week. At least one more Democrat plans to run. State Rep. Tyrone Yates of Cincinnati says he's going to seek George Voinovich's seat. And another Southwest Ohio Democrat might make it f a four-person race. Hamilton County Commissioner Todd Portune could join Lee Fisher and Jennifer Bruner in a primary fight. Dale Butlin. I understand there's even more Democrats that might want to jump into this race. Yeah, latest reports are that a couple of Cleveland area Democrats are talking about jumping in. County Commissioner uh, Jones, Peter Lawson Jones, uh, Christopher Celeste, the son of the former governor, is uh, thinking about jumping into the race. So, uh, you know, you could have uh, a large number of people here. Personally, uh, I'm not sure that's ultimately going to happen. And you have to look at who these people are, too. Tyrone Yates, state rep, uh, could be the only African-American in the race, which might help him. However, now Peter Lawson Jones, who is also African-American, is talking about getting into the race. Plus, Todd Portune and Tyrone Yates are both from Cincinnati. So presumably that would split up the Cincinnati vote. Um, I, I, uh, uh, but I do think this. Jennifer Bruner, of course, is one of the candidates uh, who has uh, uh, said that she's in, along with Lee Fisher, the two major candidates. Yeah. Jennifer Bruner, although I personally believe that there will be enormous pressure brought on her by the party to keep her seat because it is so critical to who controls the apportionment board, yeah. which I think the Democratic Party and, frankly, the Republican Party, too, care a lot more about than they do who the U.S. Senator is. On the other hand, if there are four or five men that are in this race and only one woman, Jennifer Bruner, that might cause her to want to stay in because yeah. remember that's how Mary Ellen Withrow got elected treasurer sure. in this state, right. having a bunch of male candidates who split the male vote and she got all the female votes. Plus, Plus she's got a lot of support, national support. She should be able to raise a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think she's a leading candidate to start with. Having all these men in the race on the uh, against her is is a plus, but I think she's a contender to begin. Yeah. Emily's list is already working with her. I talked yep. to them this week. Uh, they haven't endorsed her, but said we're very exciting. We're talking to her. We're helping her. They helped her in her Secretary of State's race, so she would be a national candidate. And Lee Fisher was already trying to use that against her in an interview uh, with one of our reporters this week. He said he'll get lots of support from quote Ohio 
as if Jennifer wouldn't. Well, I think she also would. And he has the Democratic Party chairman behind him already. You have to remember, too, that there is a large number of women in this state. Hillary Clinton won the primary in this state for the presidency by, what, 54, 55 percent of the vote. A lot of women were very angry when she was not the nominee, and I believe that probably many of them were thinking, okay, we didn't get a woman president, but by God, I want to see a woman in the Senate. So the angry Clinton people are going to back Bruner? I think I think that that's a possibility, okay. but but uh, I want to go back to something Bill well, said. Let's, let's get the Republican, Mary Taylor. Is she going to run on the, on the um, <laughs> Republican side? Uh, don't know. Is she, she might. Uh, she might. She might not. Uh, there's a lot of time to decide, but... Uh, on, on the Democrat side, Jennifer, uh, in her announcement, was very pointedly talking about jobs. And I'm sure she's going to say, why did Lee Fisher quit as development director after two years instead of focusing on bringing jobs to Ohio? So Jennifer is going to talk about jobs, and she's got a lot of the so-called progressive movement across the nation who just love her, and they're going to send in a lot of checks. Okay, let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Some final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Kathy Kandiski, you're up first. Well, on to the Senate race, I, I, I really think that Jennifer Bruner is going to end up being the nominee. I think she's going to resist pr enormous pressure to get, out, to get out and stay as Secretary of State, but I think she'll prevail. Okay. Bill Hershey. Jennifer Bruner and Lee Fisher are getting all the publicity, but Tyrone Yates is the only candidate for the U.S. Senate who ever exhibited a cow at the Ohio State Fair. <laughs> if Democrats want to keep from fighting, as they usually do, Maybe they can learn to say, moo. <laughs> Dale, top that one. Well, as uh, Will Rogers said, I'm not a member of any organized party. I'm a Democrat, so we, we, so we do always fight. I predict that with regard to the Senate race, for all the sound and fury about all these different candidates, in the end, you're going to have no more than three serious candidates. And the key in this race, of what I started to say before, is the money. In this state, it's going to take somewhere between 10 and $12 million dollars Emily's List or any other single organization cannot raise that money. The key, qu uh, the key thing to, to keep your eye on is who ends up raising a lot of money. That is critical to this race. And Terry? Uh, picking up on the theme of money, only we're talking about the taxpayers' money, I think the legislators and the governor are going to have a big surprise come early May because by then people will have sent in their income tax filings and they're going to find out that people didn't have many capital gains in fact, they had a lot of capital losses. There are going to be a lot more requests for refunds as opposed to extra payments, and it's going to really make the budget even more scrambled and difficult. Okay. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this discussion online. Check out our website, wosu.org slash cotr. This week we ask you, would you gamble at a downtown Columbus casino? You can also check out our blog and watch streaming video of each show. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, have a good week. <laughs>